Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast with me, Anthony Samroff, and this guy. Cynicism on stilts, Tom Laird. Indeed, <laughs> cynicism and nonsense on stilts. <laughs> well, it's quite an interesting yeah. uh, phenomenon because we had two episode 88s of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. So good we named it twice. <laughs> so I've decided to skip out on 89 completely and you can decide which of the last two is 88 and which is 89. It's because only one of them is available on YouTube. Now this, Scottish we are Liberty live Podcast streaming once again. on Facebook for the first well, not the first time ever, but because we couldn't get our tech to work on the laptop. So we're trying something different. We. We. Now, we're going to get into con some controversy here. Uh, as everyone knows, libertarians hate the planet and the environment and would like to see it destroyed. In fact, a well-known libertarian wrote an article called My Secret Vice, Hating the Environment. So I am going to play devil's advocate Today, I'm going to stand up for the planet against you greedy, earth-ravaging capitalists who care nothing more about than the convenience of getting a drink in a plastic bottle and throwing it in the ocean where it is going to do nothing but murder fish. You like your little six packs of beer, don't you? Don't you? And you don't care if that um, st those six packs strangle a fish to death right around its wee throat, do you? No, just so long as you can carry it home, you scum. Fresh, but fresh before that, man. we're going to talk about, this is, uh, if you haven't heard, what I'm referring to is World Earth Day is coming up. I'm sure Earth there's a World day. Earth Day, a World Environment Day, a World Save the Planet Day, and several other environmental causes. Earth Day, you little earthlanders, you. They are saying. You parochial earthers. <laughs> I'm a Galaxian. I'm a citizen of the galaxy. Okay, all you care about is your little poxy planet, planet yeah. Earth. Yeah. We should actually, um, we should actually mine the, um, which one? Mine. The gas giant. The gas giant, Jupiter. If oh, we yeah. ran out of na natural gas, we should go and just steal. There's like a billion infinity years worth of gas on Jupiter that we can use okay. to power our cars. So. If you haven't heard, people are reporting that by 2050, assuming Ceteris Paribus, what does Ceteris Paribus mean? Uh, I don't, didn't he used to play for Rangers? <laughs> assuming all other things being equal, okay. uh, there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish by 2050. That sounds like a crock to well, me. Well, that's uh, what they're saying. And they are proposing... <laughs> They are proposing to ban single-use plastic items, not just tax them, but ban them. Forks, plastic knives, plastic cups, etc, etc. And we're going to get into that. Plastic conservatives. A little bit later. What are our other headlines for today? What are our headlines? <laughs> we'll talk about plastic conservatives. Uh, Ruth the Muth Davidson, as she's known here in Scotland, uh, leader of the Scottish Conservative Party, um, has come out in favour of taxation. Uh, she wants uh, more of it and she wants to spend that money on the state monopoly health service. So uh, we'll, be, we'll be discussing that and how, uh, you know, just what is Ruth Davidson all about. Can the people hear us? Do we know that? Have we got 
Oh, we've got jo Joanne Tate, Richard Montgomery, and Leif Cofield, and maybe one more. So make yourself known. So also right wing, can we call him right wing? Does the word right wing even have any meaning anymore? What constitutes right wing these days? Anybody who doesn't read the Guardian. Anyone who isn't a good person who cares about others. So yeah, we're going to talk so, about Tommy Robinson's Tommy. arrest briefly. Everybody's been talking about it, uh, apart from obviously the press previously because they weren't allowed to. Uh, so shall we so shall we start with that and work backwards? Uh, start with Tommy. I thought you were yeah. you, I thought you were hot for Earth Day. I wanna I wanna save it to last because I've wet people's that, yeah. appetite. Okay. So Tommy Robinson, what exactly was he arrested for? Okay. A breach of the peace. Does everyone know who he is? Give him a brief tell rundown. The, people, tell the guy the people used out to there. be a bit of a football hooligan and he started an organisation or was a leader in an organisation well, called well, well, the well, EDL. Okay. Wait, no, wait. he admits to having been a football hooligan. Does he? Yeah. Okay. So he he founded something called the English, English Defence League. League and he maintains that when he was growing up he saw communities around him destroyed by um, radical Islam, radical Islam uh, increases in crime rates and things, and that radicalised him. He uh, he is not uncritical of the way that he took uh, activism in the past, but do you know what? People have got a right to mature and change and things like that. He has been at Oxford giving an address on... Um, the issues that he saw. I watched it on YouTube. I definitely watch. Uh, recommend you watch it. Whether you agree with him and his positions or not, um, you should check out what people have to say, not just attack their character. And what I found when I watched his presentation is there was very little that I could actually dispute in what he had to say. He had evidence. He named specific um, things that happened, specific incidents where the police turned a blind eye to um, serious aggression um, and crimes yeah. because it was too politically incorrect, it was seen as too politically incorrect. Political they were saying tale. that they weren't allowed to discuss the race of, or religion of people involved if they were minorities. Um, so go and watch his Oxford address if you don't know him yet and make your own opinion. Maybe he is scum. Maybe he's a right-wing lunatic that has nothing but hatred for humanity and minorities. But um, that is to that that is really down for you to decide. So what okay, are well, you saying he, about him? Well, basically, you're right. He started the English Defence League. Now, one of the reasons he says he started the English Defence League, he was a member of the British National Party at one time, who are a far-right organisation and who are a racist organisation. Um, he says he formed the EDL because. You know, he wanted to specifically. He he wasn't a racist, and he disagreed with the BNP's position. He wanted to start a, an organisation that was specifically, um, you know, concentrating on radical Islam, um, and the EDL was open to membership by for anybody. I think there was Sikh members of the EDL. Uh, you know, but it was definitely. Uh, he says, infiltrated by extreme right-wing elements. He's no longer a member of the EDL even. He hasn't been connected with the EDL for about 10 years. However, most recently he's been a commentator for um, Rebel Media, um, the same channel that Lauren Southern used to work for, same channel that uh, Gavin uh, McInnes works for. 
and he's since left that and now he's been doing independent reporting and during his independent reporting he turned up to a court in England where several men were in trial um, for uh, were what, what is known as grooming gangs, okay, they were involved in the, the, uh, the molestation and rape of uh, uh, young girls, that's what they're accused of, allegedly uh, involved in grooming young girls, underage girls for sexual activity. Um, now Tommy Robinson has a previous conviction and he was out on what they call license, so he was out on parole, uh, you call it in America. Now under the terms of license, if you infringe the law in any way whatsoever, if you're even caught peeing in the street, you get whisked back into jail to finish off what remains of your sentence. So he was accused of breach of the peace, that's a kind of catch-all term in British law, it could be anything. Um, you know, it could be peeing in the street, but they, you know they can pin that on you. Breach of the peace, um, but it turns out what they've actually convicted them of is um, breaking a court order. The or the court had ordered that no reporting was to take place of the trial, right? As it would be prejudicial, right? So the idea of that—that's quite an old one. It's like we don't want a trial by the public, yeah, you know. So yeah. you're not allowed to come along and report because. Um, what what will happen is public opinion, uh, there'll be a scandal and public opinion will take over and the jury will be prejudiced. Yep. Is that the idea behind That's it? That's the idea behind it. That's what they're saying. Now, that is not what they said when they arrested them. They said okay, they've so been arrested changed for their story. Yeah. So that makes it sound like it's only a pretext. They, they arrest first and find the reason why to yeah. arrest afterwards. Um, so you can see his arrest live. Well, not live, but he filmed it live as it was happening. Uh, there was six officers involved in the arrest of one man. Um, and he claims at the time that he had been attacked by someone and the police never bothered to and, and this is this is quite uh, normal I think yeah. for Tommy Robinson he gets attacked frequently physically and the police are reluctant to, to do anything about it um, he's when he was in prison before he was attacked while he was in prison it seems it seems and they ostensibly at least that the, that the authorities deliberately uh, put him into prison and put him into the general population with uh, Muslims. There's quite a high Muslim population in some prisons and they, they deliberately uh, put him into the general population with people who were definitely out to get him. Well, to people come. are saying this now, oh, he won't get out of prison if he gets put away because there's too many Muslim people in there who have it out for him and, and would gladly end his life. Yeah. So, so he's definitely, he, he is under threat. Uh, from from a lot of these people, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, he gets accused. Many people have accused. I mean, I was talking to someone recently uh, in in a pub, and uh, they were, we were talking about the subject of free speech. And this person said that they were all for free speech, Except. completely. Well, they never, they never even accept. And then I started talking about Tommy Robertson, and they went, "Yeah, well, you know, that guy just shouldn't be given a platform." And I went, well, you just said you're for free speech. He said, yeah, but Tommy Robinson's a racist. I said, could you give me one example? You know, be the first. Be the first person ever to give me, provide me of an example, an outright clear example of something that Tommy Robinson said or did that was racist. 
not only could he not provide me with that information, but he even refused to go on Google and search for it. I says, why not? And he said, well, I'm not, I'm not going on Google searching, you know, for Tommy Robinson. Why would you be afraid to do that if you don't, you know, if you don't think that you, you know, that there's not some, uh, you know, government um, conspiracy to sort of lock up people with views well, that are not as popular? As I said, he's been on the. If Oxford's going to have him talk, he then becomes a thinker whose deals need to be contended with and whose, whose uh, ideas need to be contended with. And this is the thing that I'm always pushing for. It's like, can we not just deal with people's ideas? <laughs> can we ideas? just not get along? Can we all just get along? We don't have to get along, but we can deal with people's arguments. And if he's talking crap, then debunk him. Yeah. Now, um, I guess... Okay, I mean, so... By the bare mind, this is a guy who didn't go to university. I don't even think he, would, he probably finished high school. Uh, you know, and I've, I've, I've watched them grow over the years from someone who was, you know, fairly inarticulate to somebody who's very articulate. Yeah, yes, um, he's, he's become more articulate through his experience. Um, and he's met with all sorts of people. I've seen them in interviews with black people. Even I've seen them with a, there's a, there's a good interview uh, with him and uh, I think he's from Australia, a Muslim is imam who's quite uh, liberal. Um, yes, and, and, that guy. Yeah, uh, he was always on talking about uh, against radical Islam himself. Yeah. So yeah. the Australian guy. Yeah. So the, the 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 most disturbing part of this case was the fact that the courts put a ban on the press even reporting on the fact that Tommy Robinson yeah. had been arrested. And now they've since retracted that yeah, they because they were to, forced to. Because several newspapers took them to court and made it and. and took the court to court and uh, got them to overturn that decision so they can report on it now and, and that that ban was even effective. Breitbart uh, even complied with that, that directive to uh, to not report on this and as stories were going up they were being taken down off the internet so that's a, that's a disturbing trend um, and there's there's been several people in the UK arrested for you know, in connection with this kind of reportage. Okay, Karis Kaz series has sent us a, um, a link to link. to Tommy Robinson Breaking. and his hates tweets. Thank you for that. Let's okay. let's read some of these out. Okay, um, since Tommy Robinson, real name Stephen Yaxley Lennon, well there you go, he's been doxxed. Uh, justifies platform of anti-Muslim rhetoric. By the way, Kaz, if you want to come on the show. Uh, you, we can, we can actually add you on film, and you can have a chat to us. I think. Um, so, the re, uh, the reason women, Muslim women, wear this burqa. There's a tweet here saying, "I chose of a woman in a burqa saying I chose to wear this because Muslim men cannot control their okay. sexual urges okay. and can, will rape can, me." Can we just wait a second? Can we just stop this a second? What I specifically asked for was for uh, information concerning Tommy Robinson being a racist. If you're going to send me stuff uh, about Tommy Robinson saying things against Islam, uh, Which that's, is a that's, that's, that's indisputable that he says things against Islam. Islam uh, is not a race, it's a religion. You get white ginger Muslims. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm specifically looking for something racist that he said. Let's see if... if um Islam, yeah, him tweeting things like, is this a parody account? Islam was spread yeah. by the sword with genocide, rape, looting, 
Pakistan is a joke. So okay. no one's saying that he hasn't said anything controversial or off color. Personally, you know, we we actually saw him speak as part of a bigger event in London, and I thought he went on way too much about Islam. Yeah. Um, personally, well, not just him. I think the whole event went on far too much um, about Islam. So, so uh, because we were specifically true, talking about free it speech. It's true that way. Islam was um, was spread by the sword, just as um, the Roman Empire was spread by the sword, and all all imperial oral imperialist powers yeah. and Roman Catholicism was, was, was spread by the sword. Were, were spread by the sword. It's not it's not an untrue statement, however. So my problem is my my concern is with the long term picture. Okay. Basically, uh, uh, Leif, Cole, Leif Coldfield says Islam and religion in general should be criticised heavily. The manner in which some folk go around uh, go about it is questionable. Okay. So yeah. Religious ideas are fair game to be criticised. Islam is not just a religious doctrine. Um, it's got an extensive political philosophy built into it. Um, for those who don't know, Islam is not just the worship of Allah, which I've got no problem with. I don't really care how people pray. It's none of my business. People can pray and you've however pray they want. Just to make it to how, however they want. Um, <laughs> That, that's not anyone's concern. The thing is, Islam has an extensive political philosophy attached to it, and people's political philosophy is my business. Um, Islam is not just the worship of Allah, it's also the emulation of Muhammad. And you can read the biography of Muhammad. I myself have read the biography of Muhammad and see if he is the kind of person, if his biography is the kind of thing that you would want people today to emulate. So just remember that Islam is not just the worship of Allah, it's also the emulation of Muhammad. Muhammad's life is seen as supreme yeah. and the, the example of a perfect life which every Muslim should aspire to. So that said, so that said, that said, I would say give me 10 Muslims who subscribe to the non-aggression principle um, before, uh, you know, 10 white people who don't. Yeah, or, you know, and there is a, ten or ten supposed Christians there, who don't, or Roman Catholics who don't. I'm not interested. We have a, uh, a, a and the, the Scottish Libertarian Party, we have our uh, Scottish uh, Libertarian Youth uh, Coordinator and Student Coordinator, um, Ibrahim Hakim, who is a yeah. devout Muslim. Now he's a Muslim and he's a Libertarian. Now some of you might find that contradictory. Some might think he's con cognitively dissonant. I don't particularly care. Provided he subscribes to the non-aggression principle and agrees with libertarian principles, I, yeah. I really don't care what God he worships. Um, there is, it's also worth mentioning there is a, a organisation called Muslims for Liberty. You can check, check them, them out, out. Yeah. and they 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 give the grounds which they believe um, a reading of Islam, which is congruent with libertarianism. What I was fundamentally going to say is my worry is not about Tommy Robinson. My worry is the people who say, well, he gets what he deserves, um, you know, uh, he gets what's coming for, to him. What they don't realise is what's coming to him is coming to you next. Yeah. Um, the point is not just the point where they can arrest people and choose the charge later on. It's just, um, it's just 
there, sure, Finn Townsley says, surely there is a huge difference between free speech and giving someone a platform. He can say what he likes, but that doesn't mean the paper, university, to show, and so on, needs to um, let you say it there. I'm not saying he nope. should have legal repercussions, but he doesn't have a freedom from response. I completely agree with yep. you. No one is obliged to give him a platform, but if he has things to say, if he has ideas, if he is putting out ideas that many people less articulate than him hold, then it's important that those ideas are discussed and we attack his ideas rather than his person. Yeah. And the thing is, sunlight is the best disinfectant, as uh, the old saying goes. When people simply jail him, that and if he is indeed giving refuge to right-wing extremists, um, that only empowers them to say, look, we're the victims here, we're being silenced, there's no platform for us to express our views, and they feel more mar marginalised and more hateful, and there's an escalation in their sort of um, way of um, thinking. So, the problem is, I'm more concerned about things like this, Dankula, and other examples of people being no platform, not allowed to speak in universities, jailed, even. jailed, losing their jobs for a tweet. There's an escalation of this kind of thing, and it's coming for you next, yeah. plain and simple. It's just, a, it's just more, you know, at first they came for the communists, but I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist, then the trade unionists. It's like you're you're meant. They start with people that they know are well hated, so no. that they can have a pretext for this. It's the overall. No, I mean let's let's let's, let's face it. Uncontroversial free speech doesn't need to be protected. You know that who who who's, who needs to protect that? It's only controversial speech that needs protection. And what annoys me is I, I hear people on the left. You know, some of the more enlightened ones saying, like, you know, this is a, you know, what's happened to us on the left. You know, we've we've gave up caring about civil liberties and free speech. I propose that the left never cared about civil liberties and free speech. They only cared about it when it pertained to them. I think what's happened is the left has given up the pretense of giving uh, of caring about free speech and caring about civil liberties because they feel emboldened and they feel empowered enough. Uh, that they're untouchable and they can, you know, they can stamp down on everybody else's point of view and opinion that they don't like. So, uh, yeah, for for me, uh, I'm not a particular well, supporter of Tommy Robinson, but I support his right to say controversial things without fear of being censored or even sent by to prison. By the state, particularly. Um, what I'm and by the way, that goes that that went for uh, some some Muslim speakers as well that people said they shouldn't be allowed to say that yes they should yeah, short should. of actually saying let's go and kill Theresa May or let's go and do this or let's go and do this yeah thing. yeah you're not allowed to incite to violence yeah. but you have unless you're Cat Stevens of course because he, he he threatened to kill uh, what was it um, Salman Rushdie live on television right next to a senior policeman and uh, nothing was done about it so you have people like moderate uh, Muslims like Majid, uh, Majid Nawaz um, and that woman, I, I, I can't remember her name, she was, she 
her clitoris was removed. You know, she she was a victim of female genital mutilation. She's a secularist and a classic liberal, and she talks uh, against um, um, Ayan Hirsi Ali. Um, she talks uh, uh, against radical Islam, and she these people are being defamed by the left. So obviously, you're going to be for free speech. She married to Niall Ferguson. He she is married to another personality, yeah. but you know, you. You have. I'm just. I'm really concerned about the state of free speech uh, at the moment, and that j just because it's not the end of it, what you're seeing now is not the end of it. It's just a tiptoe. They are always testing to see how much people are going to tolerate, yeah. and if you tolerate this, then your, your children, children will, will be, be next, next, as the Manic Street preachers unfortunately yeah, broadcasted on the radio. <laughs> well, yeah. So obviously, you're going to be for free speech if it's the sixties and you're a lefty, yeah. and you've got um, McCarthy on your ass. Yeah. But, um, but this is just McCarthyism in reverse. This is this is this is McCarthyism. You know, hunt people down. Uh, Hound them, hound them out of their job, dox them, you know, um, contact their HR departments and force companies to sack people who uh, are otherwise good employees because they, they've tweeted something or they hold controversial views. Uh, I don't think that's. Um, yeah, and the left wing have this, moral. this um, strange idea that they're radicals in the minority position where the whole of society is organised. Um, basically along the lines of their uh, their platform. It's just a tiptoe. Like, all of these positions are po perfectly politically correct and you're not going to lose any friends for uh, publicly expressing left-wing views. Let's face it, definitely not in Scotland. Um, you're, you're, uh, the idea that it's somehow radical to be, a, to be against capitalism today is quite frankly laughable. You have the mainstream view. You're not a radical, right? Just because you want, uh, just because you you think that you're entitled to free stuff that other people have to pay for. So it's like I don't know where you're getting this idea from, and it's got to go because it's the fact it's one of your pre it's one of the the reasons why people adopt these views because they think they're dissidents of the system. Why, if, if you're dissidents of the system, why is it that the, the size of the government and the amount of things that the government provides only just keeps on increasing and increasing and increasing over time um, to, uh, to the point where government spending makes up something approaching 40% of the economy? Not to, fa not to mention the fact that all of the private transactions are heavily regulated and so forth at the same time. Uh, it is the the left wing platform writ large of course all of the political parties are both too left wing and too right wing at the same time and and that they're neither left nor right they're just statist and every axis they're for big government there is no platform in which any party is not for a uh, big government which brings us to our next news story on Ruth Davidson. Ruth Davidson. The conservative. The conservative. Okay, I'm going to read you a short excerpt from uh, the Metro, dated Wednesday the 30th of May 2018. That's what's yesterday's paper. Uh, Davidson. Funding NHS should be Prime Minister's priority. Scottish Conservative leader Ruth Davidson has called the UK government to make funding the NHS a higher priority than future tax breaks. 
With NHS costs rising and the country facing the challenge of how to deal with an increasingly elderly population, she argued that the health service needs substantial extra funding across the whole of the UK. Right. Uh, answering the question of where the cash should come from, she said ministers should not introduce any more tax cuts, quote, beyond those already promised, unquote. Uh, she also told the audience, um, the Tory, uh, she said that the issue of the NHS was pretty personal for her. Uh, she said that five years old, the NHS saved my life, then saved my legs after I was run over by a truck outside my house. They put me back together again a few years later when I broke my back. Um, I don't know what she was up to. I think she's got a lot of accidents. But what do you think of that argument? You know, uh, I like the NHS because it cured me, or I like the NHS because it's... I mean, it's. imagine I said, well, I like colonialism because my parents done rather well out of it. You know, when people say, oh, that's, that's, that's right enough. You know, Tom Laird's parents done okay. His dad got a job in Africa because of colonialism. Um, would, that, you know, would that excuse colonialism, uh, the fact that it, it was beneficial to me? I don't think the fact that the NHS benefited... I mean, the NHS benefited me at times. But let's look at it this way. My parents, their parents, myself, my brother and my sister, uh, have all been taxed involuntarily. Uh, we've all been forced to pay for a service, so I think it's only right that we actually get to use that service uh, once we've paid for it. Uh, the question is, is it providing value for money, and couldn't that same service be provided voluntarily, rather than threatening to put people in jail if you don't pay the, the submissions? So, uh, Ruth Davidson's a bit of a mystery to me. Um, she seems to me like a woman who went to join the Labour Party, joined the wrong queue and ended up in the Conservatives and then just decided to make the best of it and by some comedy of errors became leader of that party. Now, I, I, I say she baffles me. I don't know where she's coming from in terms of, con of conservatism. I don't see what's conservative about her at all in any meaningful way. Um, all politicians of all parties are neither conservative nor liberal, they are statist. Yeah. The only thing that they do is increase the size of government. Um, so I guess the first... Okay, I, so I think basically what she's doing here though is also pitching... I think she's pitching for leadership of the Conservative Party in the UK and she's trying to uh, increase her popularity with the general population by making, uh, you know, by dog whistling, by making noises that are conducive to getting elected. Um, you know, I, I believe in the NHS. She knows that the NHS is a religion in the UK. Um, you can't criticise the NHS, you know, and those angels of mercy who work for the, the, the NHS. If you do... We're you're, certainly you're, going to get some criticism for this yeah, live stream. Probably, yeah. So you, know, you just don't criticise the NHS so in the UK. So we've got a whole you know? show on the NHS called What's Wrong With The NHS. We made that with a documentary maker called Colin Gunn. I definitely suggest watching that one on YouTube or listening to it on iTunes or if you haven't what, already. Yeah. Or even watching Colin's documentary. It's quite good. It's got quite a lot of information in it, but I want to give you the short and skinny because why don't you give us the short and skinny? Aren't they? The main thing is this idea of if something is not performing the way that you want it to, obviously it just needs more money. It couldn't yeah. possibly be anything else. Well, actually, over a period of 20 years, funding for the NHS doubled, but during that time we didn't see a doubling 
and the efficiency or an improvement in meeting people's needs under that service. Um, right now, four million people are on NHS waiting lists, waiting for hospital treatment, and in current trends, this is set to reach five million in 2019. It's not universal healthcare that we have, um, because when you look at what's happening, we've got rationing. 25% of British cardiac patients die waiting for treatment and delays in treatment for colon and lung cancer patients have been so long that 20% of cases were incurable by the time they received care. Now, obviously, no fan of the American system, but these are things that you can get seen the next day for in America if you have insurance or you have the cash. Because basically, there's a... Oh yeah, old people sometimes just don't get services, period. So to say, well, I benefited from this, therefore I've got a stake in it, that, um, therefore it's a good thing. You assume that things... It's kind of like imagining that, see if you took a big rock out of a stream, the water would continue to flow around that rock, right? You assume that something wouldn't be in place, potentially better, if we didn't have the NHS. There was a time in this country where uh, doctors would often volunteer in the morning and go to work uh, in the afternoons for pay. Um, the, the, the NHS was more introduced idealistically, uh, but there, it wasn't from a, uh, from a lack of services being provided at the time. Our technology has come on so far and our life's are longer and um, we need more care there's more technology involved in the care but of at least a free market in the private provision of health care would um, create supply meeting demand and the thing is if you want to meet like it, the idea that you just throw money at something to fix it is the real nonsense because there's sensible policies you could take one of the things I've mentioned before is you need to study seven years to become a doctor, but not everything a doctor does requires seven years of training. So why don't you have people on various uh, scales of training from one to seven years who, can, who are less qualified that can take up the slack of doctors? The, the cure for the NHS is really to allow clinics to uh, train their own assistants and staff who can take off the burden from highly trained staff and I just want to say a few things about um, inefficiency within the system. Uh, we're, um, 5.2 million citizens visit their GPs a year with blocked noses and tens of thousands suffering from things like dandruff and travel sickness, right? These are the things that people turn up to their highly specialised doctors for. So they should be going to specialists and block noses and stuff like dandruff and travel sickness and perhaps not on the public purse. Because those doctors are so overburdened and people can't get appointments with them, they end up going to accident and emergency services, which are meant to be for if you've just and yeah, if you've just sliced your vein open or something. Closing the title. 3.7 million accident and emergency visits a year from things like sprains, flus and colics and insect bites and things like that. So this is what happens when you have a free point of 
entry service with no discernment as to who gets what. You really cannot prioritize the people who need the help the most. So um, the main thing is if you stood outside giving out free ice creams to everyone and anyone, you would soon run out of ice creams and you couldn't really tell between who really needed that ice cream, otherwise they were gonna uh, starve to death or something. People would just take two or three ice creams they try and take one, they put one of them in the bin. They don't, you know, there, there's, no, there's no regard for the usage of resources when they're given unequivocally, equivocally free of service. So please watch our YouTube pre presentation, What's Wrong With The NHS, for more details. Uh, and I definitely think that would be worth your time. It was a good show. Yeah. Anything else to say? Well, just well, the just, fact that she's a conservative. She's a conservative. She's conning people into believing that she's a conservative. When really, look, her mission really is to just get elected, to stay in power, and she's leader of the Scottish Conservative Party. She knows. I think she's got a good idea that she's never going to become first minister of Scotland. So I think she's trying to leapfrog up into this position where she can be. Uh, and don't, I'll say this for her, she is a very able politician, she's very uh, astute, uh, very good in debate, um, but she, as, a, as, a, as a Conservative she's a complete washout, you know, I, don't, I have no idea why and anybody in the Scottish Conservative Party uh, is even there anymore, you know. Even if you agree with the NHS religion and you think it should be the top priority despite, in spite of everything, and more money should go towards it, surely a robust debate is still required and someone needs to be bringing up the position publicly that um, we should have less government involvement in healthcare. Even if you think we should have more government involvement in healthcare, surely you have to have two sides to turn up to debate and someone should be up there making the case against it. So, uh, Hanos Kloos says, author of Invisible. You can get his uh, book on spirituality and observing your own mind and the strange habit patterns of biases we come to on Amazon. His name, his book is called Invisible, Hanos Kloos. Not just the myth of angels or help of help for heroes, but the myth of free healthcare, prescriptions and particularly the dentist. Free healthcare, yeah. It's never free. Someone has, has to, to pay, pay for it through the tax system. Yeah. And the question is, well, as free marketeers, uh, the clear that anyone who understands basic economics uh, will know that the more suppliers there are, the cheaper something is because consumers will compete between suppliers. When you have a monopsony, which is one government, one agency is the only buyer, the government is the only buyer of healthcare, then you have a situation where they're not in an uh, ideal bargaining position. Uh, they're not, they're spending someone else's money on someone else. Yeah. If I spend my money on me, I want a good service at a good price. If I spend my money on Tam, I want a good price not too fussed about the service. If I spend Tam's money on me, then I'm going to go to town because it's not me paying for it. But if I'm paying, if I'm spending Tam's money on Tam, or no, Tam's money on Joanne, then I'm not, I don't have a personal stake in either the getting good value for money or a high quality of service. Yeah. Okay.
So, uh, Ruth Davidson can go and fuck herself uh, with that okay. kind of pattern. Summer so. Eve says, having been through many parts of the NHS for long periods of my life, I would simply call it a tyrannical government agency based on theft, based on theft and debt taken out against the unborn. Wow. Wow. Okay. That is yeah. a... That is a like astonishing review, and as someone who works in the field of mental health, I can't tell you the kind of abuses that I've heard people have um, received through the official channels from psychiatrists who are pompous and look down on them, from government paid psychologists. And the reason for that is when someone comes to me, they're the customer. So I, I have to provide a good service, otherwise they can very easily stop. Whereas when you go to the NHS for mental health services, they're the authority. They're going to tell you what's wrong with you. And they're going to, they're going to tell you what you have to do in order to provide services from them. You're, you're not in a bargaining position. So yeah, uh, I, I think that we should be more looking at alternative, you don't have to be a complete NHS abolitionist, um, but, you, but at least the private provision of healthcare should be completely deregulated so that um, advancements that are made in the private sector, people can buy into healthcare if they choose to, and advances that are made in the private sector can then be adopted by the public sector. Our final story. Go for it, this is your one. Earth Day. World Earth Day. Earth Day. The UN and EU have proposed to ban single-use plastics. That's pretty radical, to ban them. Uh, because by 2050, they estimate that more plastic will be in the ocean than fish. Now, an interesting point of information is in 2016 in the UK, they banned reusable plastic bags from supermarkets. No, they didn't ban them. They put a five pence mandatory charge. The government said, if you're going to take a plastic bag, you have to be charged five pence for them. Now, the interesting thing is, this has led to an 83% reduction in the use of plastic bags approximately in the UK. So it, you could at least say if the point of the policy was to reduce the amount of plastic bags used, then it's been a successful policy. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm not so concerned personally about plastic bags ending up in landfills. Landfills are not what they once used to be. They're not hazardous. They're very high technology. A lot, a lot of recycling happens in a landfill. They take up the methane gas and they use it to produce energy. Um, the liquid that seeps out the bottom is sometimes reprocessed into things like batteries. You will not find many aluminium or tin cans or steel cans in a landfill because they have reuse value and they're very easy to sell on, which is to suggest that a lot of the things that um, end up in a landfill do not have economic value. It's not worth your money to recycle plastic because it is... Um, more it costs more. It costs recycle. more to recycle than it does to get it virgin. Um, same goes for glass. Um, sand is one of the most abundant natural resources on the planet. It's cheap to source sand and turn it into glass, and it's very ambiguous whether 
recycling paper is better or worse for the environment than put it, sending it to a landfill because paper uh, needs to be de-inked and the de-ink the, the ink which they were, the, they need to use detergents which are harsh on the environment and the ink uh, then needs to be disposed of safely. So it might be that it's better to find clean ways to incinerate it than to try to recycle it. Um, yeah, the, the only way to really recycle your newspaper is to just read it again and again and again and again. <laughs> I'm, glad I, I'm, I'm glad I've got you to uh, keep the tone from turning too serious at times like this. So, it's interesting because food waste as well is phenomenal, but the, the weird thing is that um, one of the things that actually made was making landfills profitable was the um, food waste because that's what composts and becomes methane gas. So uh, these things are complicated, they're not that simple. However, I do share the concern about plastic bags rather than entering landfills, entering the ocean or places where they can harm wildlife. And there's a question as libertarians, if we lived in a private law society or even minarchist society, would this be allowed? Would there not be an owner? Because right now, the government takes on the hazard. The government owns rivers and then they give out the rights. They sell the rights to pollute the rivers. Yeah. Right? If you were a private owner of a river, then you would be personally liable and responsible for any damage done. If you were concerned... Um, uh, so we don't really have market mechanisms in place to allow us to compare the compare the comparative damage to the environment of one policy to another. Like for example, let's take so supposing we ban forks and knives and plates. Do we know that using detergent to clean porcelain plates is less bad for the environment than plastic? We, we, we have no way of knowing. If we lived in a society when you, where you had to buy your municipal water, when you washed your dishes and the water went down the hole, you'd be charged in proportion with how easy or difficult that water was to clean. If it took thousands of litres of water to wash your dirty detergent out of the water, then you'd be forced to adopt environmentally friendly ways of cleaning your dishes. But we don't have that market mechanism. Maybe maybe these plastic knives and forks are actually less, sorry, a plastic plate is less bad for the environment than, than cleaning, cleaning plates. I have got no idea. And no one does because there's no market mechanisms to compare them. Um, it's interesting that the way that entrepreneurs can come up with solutions to things, for example, someone was, uh, a brewery had a novel idea which was they had this byproduct which was the scum off the top of their brewing processes which they manufactured into little rings that could be the six packs for beers. And the interesting thing is if it ended up in the water supply, fish would just eat it, it was non-toxic and it wasn't going to damage anyone. Likewise, there's a guy called Boyan Slat, who uh, 
who you can look up on YouTube who had a great idea for cleaning up the government, uh, the, the oceans, and he's kind of looking at Cleaning in. up the government. Uh, if only had a... We've got a great idea, idea of cleaning up the government. Right. Get rid Privatize of it. Privatise it. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, uh, so it's a very interesting technology that he's invented, and I definitely um, look, want to see people doing more research in that. Um, Hanos Kluse says, ultimately, even sand is capital, not income, i.e. limited. We treated oil as income, now see it as capital. Should we not try to use things that we cannot regenerate? Not just plastic, but all things in time. Okay, this is a very interesting and complicated question. Well, so, you know, I've, I've met some people uh, who have claimed that you know, there, are, you know, there are ways of uh, turning plastic into fuel. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's been largely ignored. Right. Which might suggest that it's not um, profitable yet. What I would yeah. say is, I agree, but the thing is, how do you know when you should be using less of something and not? For example, um, if we, we get our garbage, like lefties are fond of talking about externalities, which is totally true. When you go to a supermarket and you buy um, an item, you're paying for the cost of that item, but you're not paying for the cost of disposing of that item because it goes through the municipal garbage, the free your free garbage collection. Now, they, their solution to that is to tax it. But the thing is, if you weren't getting your, why should you be taxed? Why should you not um, pay in proportion to how easy or difficult your waste is to dispose. Why should everyone get it? Like because then the the more difficult something is to dispose of, the more your garbage company is going to um, charge you for it. If your if it's ta tin or can or aluminium, someone will pick it up for free. In the old days, the milkman used to come along and pick up your glass bottles and fill them up again. So if you've got these trucks driving away from supermarkets empty, there's no reason why, if you weren't getting your waste picked up for free, people wouldn't simply take their things back to the supermarket. And when they came and produced, uh, brought their new Coca-Cola bottles, they'd pick up the old ones and take them back and refill them well, again. Yeah, they used if, to do that. They right? used to do that, but there's no reason to do that when you get your garbage picked up for free. So my solution is make people pay to clean up yeah. their own mess. I mean, the, the, reason we, is, the reason we moved on to aluminium cans from tin cans is because it, became, it was cheaper. It was cheaper to make uh, to get aluminium cans than, than use tin. Tin was, was an expensive thing in mine. Um, whereas aluminium is just much cheaper, so that that's the, the market forced the move away from tin to, to aluminium cans. And it was even publicised that Coca-Cola made their tin cans thinner. Eh, sorry, your their aluminium cans thinner because that they had a profit motive to yeah. reduce the amount of resources they needed. So actually, eh, capitalism is thought to be destroying the planet, but it actually creates many incentives to use resources wisely because if I can turn more resources, sorry, fewer resources into the same amount of product, that means I save costs on those resources in the first place. Yeah. But I guess ultimately my point is that... And, in, and the environmental damage that's been done in this, the former Soviet bloc is, 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 is demonstrable. 
uh, by that regime. Of course, that wasn't real socialism, uh, as we all know, but um, whenever real socialism comes along, I'm sure it will show us all the way it's supposed to be done. But um, until then, we can only rely on people who claim to be socialists, and they were called the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, and the environmental damage that it inflicted on, its, on yeah, itself far, was... far, far worse yeah, than, than, and, and, than any yeah. capitalist country's done. So, the thing is, yeah, I guess, I think this... What we need is the correct incentives. I think there would be a lot less one-use plastic being consumed if people actually had to pay for the disposal of their own waste instead of getting it for free. Um, that would be a better solution. In the meantime, does this proposal emulate something like what um, a libertarian society would have anyway? And if you believe that the government should, at least while we have it, do things that would exist in a private law society, such as provide courts and police, or border policing, a lot of libertarians are very in favour of uh, restricting the borders and who can and who can't come in. So they're given that you have thank you, thank you. <laughs> so given that you so given that you support border policing as libertarians, should you not um, also support in the interim, out of pragmatism, government policies that would preserve the environment in the way that private property would. For example, if I live down from a, um, a factory that's blowing out smoke and it gets my clothes all dusty, in a private law society, a libertarian society, I should be able to sue them for polluting and causing damage to my property, which will create the incentives for that factory clean up its to act. clean up its act. So we all, most of us care about the environment, we all want to breathe clean air and not have food with toxic pollutants in. Yeah. Uh, back to Hanos's point about shouldn't we use less, here's the thing, we don't know what technology lies around the corner, so right now, all of that plastic in a landfill, which as I mentioned before, landfills aren't that dirty as they used to be 20-30 years ago, they're very safe now, um, tomorrow, or a year from now, someone might invent a technology that it makes it much, much more efficient to... Um, recycle plastic and all of a sudden uh, someone's going to get the patent for that and start buying up not that, I'm, not that I believe in patents start buying up landfills to recycle the plastic efficiently now if we force um, that if we force that recycling before it's due we could be using more energy and more resources to recycle that plastic than if we just allow the technology to come to a point where it makes it economic to do that. So are you saying that, are, are you in agreement with this uh, banning of plastics or not? I'm not in agreement with banning it. I think if they wanted to put a Perguvian tax on it, that's the, uh, named after the economist who said that we should tax things in proportion to how much they damage the environment as a short-term measure I might not be it wouldn't be the first government policy I would oppose uh, I was against the charge on the plastic bags uh, when it came out now that I've seen the effects of it I guess the main my main problem with it is the amount of time people need to spend faffing on the self-service machines 
to say, do you want a bag? Are you correct? Are these the right numbers of bags? I don't think overall it's been a bad thing, but not because it's saved resources so much as it's reduced externalities in terms of people having to clean up the wildlife, which would either, which they would somehow be forced to um, do one way or another. They would be forced to pay for their own damage if everyone was held accountable. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess we could do without more plastic in the ocean. And if the oceans were privately owned, oh my God, imagine yeah. that, then someone would be suing someone for the amount of plastic in them. I think we could do with it, well, we could do a lot. I think we could do with it more plastic in the Conservative Party, but uh, right. Ruth Davidson's enough. Um, any more comments that we want to go to? Need to go, thanks. <laughs> that someone said. Wow. Okay. So does that mean I want to hear from you guys at oh. home, though? Am I way off the bat? Have I abandoned libertarian principles by saying that I think that? Oh yeah. Here's another thing I meant to mention on the plastic thing. All almost all of the plastic in the ocean comes from ten rivers, and all ten of them are in Africa and Asia. The plastic in the ocean is not coming from Western developed countries. And here's time for us to debunk a misanthropic myth. I love this. I love debunking okay. misanthropic myths. Okay. And this is what we hear. Oh, if the third world is allowed to develop, it will be an environmental disaster. You overprivileged, sick little bastard. Are you saying that it's better for people in the third world to starve to death and go without electricity? Um, that is sick and you're only saying that because you live in privilege. Yeah, you're white privilege. The truth is, it's mostly white privilege. So, the truth is that developed countries have the resources to be able to afford to clean up their rivers and to defill their waters and to replant their forests and to put recycling infrastructure into place. Whereas uh, poor countries simply cannot afford to do that. They, in places like Bangladesh, although it is developing now, people scramble out around to make a living uh, without any consciousness of the effects of it on their environment. In places like Brazil and what have you, do they have much choice but to cut down the rainforest? Uh, not very much choice but to cut down the rainforest. Of course, maybe they would have a choice if we opened up free trade and actually traded with these third world countries so that they could sell us manufacturing goods. But, you know, try running that past President Trump. So, so development, international development is good for the environment and only rich countries can afford to have an environmental conscience. And Louise Whitelaw has burst out laughing. Um, That's probably more... It's my fly uh, open. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> more at our faces. Oh, is it? Right, okay. Right. So, if there's nothing else for you to add... Nothing for me. Don't be a con servitist, or a... Is there something equivalent? Or a liberal. <laughs> that's, that's pretty tenuous. Uh, um, tenuous enough to get a laugh out of you. Yeah, okay. Be libertarians. 